What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling, brought to you today and powered by the return of Spartacon. On Saturday, August 13th and Sunday, August 14th, get on over to the Blue Crab Stadium in Waldorf, Maryland, and join our friends over at Spartacon. And Spartacon 2 is the only dedicated Spartacus fan convention in the United States, complete with live-action gladiator battles inside the arena, exclusive celebrity meet-and-greets with the stars of Spartacus, and so many more unique events. Get on over to redserpents.com for more information, and stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a little bit more info on how you can be a part of the return of our good friends over at Spartacon. 
And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today on the show, we're joined by a guy who was a part of the SmackDown roster in 2009. He was a part of the WWE developmental system for quite a while, seeing many, many regime changes and seeing a lot of crazy stuff going on in that developmental system pre-NXT, of course. His name's Eric Perez, but you might remember him as the love interest of Vicky Guerrero. And that was his WWE moniker, Eric Escobar. And Eric joins the show today in what could possibly be, and this is something John and I have gone back and forth about since we recorded the interview, the most underrated interview and underrated guest of our 2016 lineup and presentations. And you think about some of the guys we've had on, those marquee names like a Shane Douglas or a Road Warrior Animal or a Bill Eady or a Buff Bagwell. And a guy like Eric Escobar quite possibly could be the most intriguing interview that we've had because the guy is one hell of a storyteller. And he just takes you into the moment, takes you back to what was going on. Really very specific details of how his WWE tenure was, how it came to be, and all the details in between. But the one question that you're going to keep asking yourself is the one question that Eric posed to us, and which is the one question I posed back to Eric, and that is, why the hell, or why in God's name, did the WWE release Eric Escobar when they did release him, just as his storyline with Vicky Guerrero was starting to heat up? And John, as I throw the question over to you, it's like the continuing storyline here. Why was Eric Escobar released at the WWE seemingly with the rug pulled directly out from underneath him. Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And today it's just another unbelievable episode here we can add to the catalog. This was one of the ones going in we weren't sure how it was going to go. And boy, at the end of it, we were loving it and we almost wanted to keep it going. It was such a fun experience, such a good time. And just every topic we hit on was great, whether it be Puerto Rico, whether it be WB, whether it be FCW, whether it was Deep South. So many good topics discuss so much great stuff from Eric and sometimes going into the interview you never know how much of a storyteller the guy's going to be how much of a good talker he's going to be and such a great talker such great insights such great stories and I just love this interview so much and you know you posed the question and it's such a good one and I don't know if I have an answer for it. you said you know why did the WWE release Eric Escobar and I legit have no clue I have no idea. It seemed like he was their kind of guy. He's a big guy. You know, they love the ethnic uh, background of some of these guys. You know, he could have brought in that specific market or he could have played up that specific role for them. And I feel like they really dropped the ball on him and let him go way too soon. I just can't, for the life of me, understand it. They gave him a great push upon arrival with the whole Vicky Guerrero boyfriend storyline. And obviously Vicky Guerrero had possibly the biggest heat in the company at that point. So it was just a perfect pairing. And like he said, they turned him face too soon. And and then they kind of didn't go with the whole, you know, Vicky was booking him against Kane and all this other stuff. That really didn't last too long. So even when they turned him face, they really didn't do a good job and they didn't handle that well. But they really, really, really should have kept him as a heel. They should have kept him with Vicky. Like he goes on in the interview, tells a great kind of like what if or what they could have done. And they really could have knocked it out of the park with that one. And 
you know, for a guy like him to be released is just shocking. And one of those things where you just don't have any idea. It wasn't any backstage heat. wasn't a fight. He didn't rip John Cena or spit on Cena or, you know, do anything to Randy Orton. So it's just very interesting to release a guy like that who had so much promise, such a good worker, so much potential. They just really, quite frankly, they just dropped the ball with him. And dropping the ball is something that I think every single person says about a WWE release talent that either you know they took a specific interest in or they felt that, you know, oh, they gave him a little bit of life and then they stopped and they start and stop. But it's almost like TNA booking, start and stop. But with these WWE guys that you get these little glimmers of, oh, well, I think he could be a great character. Oh, he's great on the mic or he's great in the ring. Sometimes they're just, uh, they're gone. They're, um, you know, kind of discarded and uh, after they put all that time in developmental which you're going to hear about from eric's point of view these great developmental stories you're going to find out about another kind of a concept that was definitely a ball dropped but this is more of a wwe pay-per-view that thank god is gone and this is the debacle known as bragging rights and you're going to hear a just completely obliteration of the concept of bragging rights by myself, but then talking about Eric's role and what he was supposed to be doing at one of the bragging rights shows uh, during the midst of his push with Vicky Guerrero, that you think about a concept of Raw versus SmackDown, it's called the Survivor Series, but WWE tried to get a little inventive, create something completely different, which was bragging rights, which lasted a couple of years. It got dumber as it went along, but this year specifically that Eric Escobar was in, it was the absolutely worst booked Raw versus SmackDown uh, pairings and teams and and rivalry that they had in the pre-2016 draft era. And this is something that with Eric, we get to really break down. We have a couple good laughs about it, but still, I hated bragging rights. I hated what they did to this poor guy, and they really needed to go back to the drawing board, rethink the concept. And when it comes to him, you know, that was his main shot at getting really pay-per-view exposure at that time. And again, just completely disappeared. But good Lord, do I hate bragging rights. Yeah, and you know, in the interview, you kind of bring it up, and it's very funny, and, and I really like it because you always brought it up to me off air. And that was the whole bragging rights fiasco of the guys are in the match and they're out of the match. You don't really know who's in the match. You don't really know what's going on. It's hard to follow. You don't really understand. And this is supposed to be some big Raw versus SmackDown pay-per-view. And no one could follow it. No one has any idea what's going on. And Eric Escobar, obviously, in the interview, he kind of uh, goes right there with you. And he was kind of laughing about it, saying he doesn't get it either. He didn't understand it. So it seemed like a lot of issues at that point were creative issues or some kind of writing debacles that really could have been straightened out, but they really weren't. And bragging rights, definitely, you hate it. And looking back, it is pretty damn you know, deplorable what they really did. I mean, it was just bad writing, and it just really didn't have a smart end game. and I didn't really care for any of it, and obviously you had such strong disdain for it. It was crazy. But, you know, I mentioned it before, just kind of briefly, the pairing with Vicky Guerrero, and it could have been so much more. It really should have been so much more. And it was, obviously the ball was dropped way too soon, but it I just didn't get, you know, the quick push, pushing and pushing. I just don't get the quick kill of the push so it's one of those things i guess you'll always look back and always think of and you'll have no idea what they were thinking about no idea what they were doing but with eric escobar it's not just about his wb run we do go into deep south we do talk about fcw so you got some great great stories from there of course we go into puerto rico and we love talking about puerto rico 
and we really, you know, delve deep into whether he was in the IWA or whether we're really talking about WWC and the Colognes, and obviously him being a, a longtime tag partner and friend of one of the Colognes, we do get into that big time, and we talk about every member of the Cologne family. So this is really one of my favorite ones. This is really something that we enjoyed, and we didn't know going in, but you know, leaving this interview, we said, "Wow, that was awesome! Can't wait to do it again." Great stuff with the Colognes. Great stuff when it comes to all the developmental turmoil. And just like I said, overall, probably the most underrated interview of 2016. And we definitely want to thank Eric for his time, for coming on the show, and uh, really spending as much time as we did digging deep into his career and deep into his time within WWE. And we just want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by the return of Spartacon. And it's Spartacon 2 that is the biggest and most exciting Rebels convention possibly ever, complete with cosplayers, artists, exhibits, celebrity guests, stuntmen and stunt coordinators, CrossFit trainers, Legion instructors. You never know what you're going to find at the one and only Spartacus fan convention based in the United States. It's Spartacon 2 on Saturday, August 13th, and Sunday, August 14th in Waldorf, Maryland at the Blue Crabs Stadium. Head on over to RedSerpents.com for more information, a complete list of celebrity guests in attendance, and how you can get a special hotel rate for those coming out of town. It's going to be a -a one-of-a-kind event. It's Spartacon 2. Get your butts over to RedSerpents.com right now and get your tickets today. And, John, with all that being said, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Eric Escobar. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. We are releasing the latest and greatest clips. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on there, please check out the feed for prior great episodes with the late... American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Jesse the Body Ventura, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the phenomenal A.J. Styles, the Demon, Glenn Kane Jacobs, the Lunatic Fringe, Dean Ambrose, Stan the Laird Hansen, and many, many more. Also, please check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. You can now check us out on Google Play, as well as Player FM and the i95 Sports Network. For any bookings, please hit up our email, bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com for any of your booking needs. Also, check out our store on ProWrestlingTees.com. It is new and it is awesome. So please check it out as ProWrestlingTees.com. Also, while you're there, check out the Kevin Thorne page as well as the Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff page and the coming soon, the Buff Bagwell page. So please check that out on ProWrestlingTees.com. And now, without any further ado, the former boyfriend of Vicky Guerrero, a former FCW World Heavyweight Champion and FCW Tag Team Champion, a former WWC World and Tag Team Champion, he is Eric Escobar. Please enjoy. Escobar. Para los que me estaban envidiando, ahora le regreso de nuevo cantando. 
former WWE superstar, and he's a well-traveled veteran of professional wrestling. You may remember him as Eric Escobar in the WWE. He's a former FCW World and Tag Team Champion. His name is Eric Perez, and thank you so much for joining Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Hey, thank you for having me, guys. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. You know, it's uh, John and I were just talking before we had you come in here that, uh, you know, it feels like um, it hasn't been that long since you were uh, released from the WWE, but it has been uh, quite a while, and the WWE releases are really the hot-button topic uh, in professional wrestling and what's going on because there's shocking turns, there's shocking surprises with each person that uh, is either requesting it or, or being let go, but... Uh, when you look at guys that are starting to hit the scene and, and kind of traveling all over the world, um, is this good for professional wrestling now that WWE is starting to let some of these guys go and we're getting some new talent out there? I mean, yeah, it is because, I mean, if the company's not going to do anything with it, might as well just let them go so they can go somewhere else and, and become, you know, the, the, the big names for, for other companies. I mean, there's so many places they can go right now, like Mexico, Japan, like, just to mention, like, the two biggest uh, wrestling markets in the world right now. But also, like, in the U.S., there are some um, there's some good promotions out there who are making, like, they're making waves. There's a lot of uh, wrestling going on in Texas, Louisiana, uh, Memphis, Georgia, Florida, all the southeast, man, to be honest. I just had a show for Main Event Pro Wrestling. It's based out of uh, Louisiana and Texas. And to be quite honest, I was for for an small independent uh, company, uh, Byron Wilcott and Mark Vaughn, who are the guys are running it. I mean, they're running a tight ship. Swear to God, I I went to that show, not knowing what to expect. And when I come in, they got they got big screens, they got video entrances for for all the wrestlers, they got ramp. They I mean they we had like uh, 1,100 people at the show, which is very rare for a small indie promotion. You know, they. I mean, there there's some good promotions out there, so you know, guys can move around and do whatever the hell they want. You know, they don't have to be stuck with WWE. Not that being with WWE is a bad thing. It's actually like the main stage of professional wrestling anywhere in the world. But it is what it is. If they're not going to use the talent, just might as well let them go so they can go somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. And the guys that are starting to hit the scene, you know, released from the WWE, are people that I think you'd be very familiar with with your time down in FCW and with the WWE and their developmental. And these are guys that have been through a lot. They've been through uh, some wars, most specifically, and I think the most surprising, of course, were Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow, who've been through the system, who've been around the WWE for a long time, and I think could be classified as a surprising release. When you see a guy like Cody Rhodes being let go and a guy who's got a lineage like he does within the company, is that kind of a head-scratcher to you, or do you think that if you see how buried he got inside of a character that his frustration was going to get the best of him sooner or later? Well, um, first of all, I have it. I have to let you guys know, I haven't been watching uh, wrestling. I haven't watched anything since uh, 2009. Uh, I think I was forced to watch WrestleMania the year after, 2010, but that was it. And it was forced because a friend of mine kind of, Kind of made me feel bad about something. And, you know, you got to come, you got to watch it. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll watch it. Which was good because I got to watch Edge's last match, which I've always been a big fan of Edge and, and a great guy. He treated me with the utmost respect and hell of a guy. But anyways, um, I, I still stay in touch, you know, through uh, my Facebook page and, and people post things here and there. And I, I kind of like 
kind of knew what was going on. I knew he was doing the uh, Stardust character. Right. Um, and I'm a big fa- I'm a big fan of Arrow. I know he did something with uh, Stephen Amell, with uh, who plays the Arrow in the uh, TV series, which I thought it was very cool of him, uh, both of them actually, to do that. Um, and it was one of those deals. I'm like, is he gonna become another Goldust? Not that he's anything bad with that, because Goldust is a is a hell of a worker. I think he's got a lot of respect in the locker room and all that, but. You know, like, like you said, coming from, you know, the lineage, the family name that he's got, you know, Dusty Rhodes, God bless his soul. Um, you would think that eventually, I mean, he's a good-looking kid. He's young. He's got he's got the same list like his dad. So, I mean, why not play off of that and not doing it because Dusty passed away. Do it because he, he deserves it. He, he owned it. I mean, he did a hell of a, a hell of a job with everything they threw at him. You know, and he's a hell of a worker. Another guy, you know, Damon Sandow. I mean, the guy's like, he's he's basically what the WWE wants in a wrestler. You know, he, he's a good worker. Harrison, you know, whatever they threw at him, he made it work. He's like 6'5". You know, he's got, he's got a good look to him. I was, uh, I tagged with him in Puerto Rico after he got released from WWE. When I got released from WWE, I came back to Puerto Rico, I wrestled, and we tagged for a little bit. And used to sit down and, and listen to him, like, you know, when we sit down and put the match together, I'm like, wow, this guy, you know, this guy really, really knows what he's doing, you know. Some 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 guys that just everything clicks, everything that, that they say makes sense, you know. Sometimes you sit down with a guy and, eh, well, you know, you don't really feel what they're trying to do in the ring. And I had plenty of those in my time. But... You know, he was one of those guys. Everything he said made sense and everything was going somewhere. I'm like, wow, this guy really gets it. Why did he get released? Beats the hell out of me. You know, some <laughs> some guys like that that you really are like, man, you know, why? But you keep other guys around. Like, why are you keeping this guy around? Are you getting rid of this one? Are you kidding me? But, you know, there's a method to the madness. So whatever they, they plan, I guess, you know, I guess they, they didn't leave in like, in a bad way, I don't know. So hopefully they'll get to come back eventually. Yeah, and we uh, we actually just crossed paths with Sandow uh, this past weekend, and uh, he's just full of uh, energy. Uh, he's just so into the business. Um, just you know, you see him interacting with fans, you see him interacting with the boys, you know, before the show started, and he's just. Uh, He's just a great source of, of knowledge, and he's obviously, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that he was in that WWE system for basically on and off for 10 years, um, and it's a shame that he was let go because he, was, uh, he was, had quite the following, but just going back to what you were saying about not watching wrestling anymore, or specifically, you know, if it's WWE, was it, you know, due to the release, or was it due to just how you left and it just leaving a bad taste in your mouth? Because, you know, again, like I said, John and I were chatting about it before, um, you know, we dialed you up here, and we just, it just seemed like it went by so fast that we got you, and then we lost you, but is that the reason why you kind of maybe, you know, not really that interested anymore? No, to be honest, because I stopped before I even debuted. So it wasn't anything because of that. It was because I guess I watched so much of it while on developmental. Because I'll give you a rundown more or less of a schedule, of a regular schedule in developmental. Um, Monday practice, Tuesday we would have, uh, this is FCW. 
uh, Tuesday we will have practice during the day, and then we have a show at night that Steve Kern set up in a, in a bar in uh, Florida, which was awesome. I mean, it was a great, great show, and the philosophy of Steve Kern was you can learn how to do moves in practice and take bumps and, and, and do stuff and talk about psychology and all that, but unless you put it to practice, unless you actually wrestle in front of a crowd, you're not going to learn how to work. And it makes sense, you know. You, you you learn by doing it, and that's how you learn. You watch from your mistakes, and, okay, you learn from them. Anyway, so Monday practice, Tuesday practice, then the show, and we will have to watch the show on Wednesday at school. So then after that, we'll do promo class. Sometimes if the office came down, we had to, like, you know, put on a little practice, a couple of matches here and there. Excuse me. And uh, Thursday night, we will have FCW show. If we had a TV taping, we had like three hours of TV tapings or a regular show, it would be like two, two and a half hours more or less of matches. And then we would watch that on Friday. Friday night, sometimes we would have another show. We'll have practice, then we'll have another show. Uh, when I started traveling with SmackDown, then on Saturday I would leave in the morning to go wrestle that night with SmackDown. Then Sunday, the same thing. You know, drive, drive, drive around uh, the state, go do another show, and now Monday another show. Then Tuesday I would do uh, the TV tapings and then uh, come back to Florida on Wednesday. So basically it was like nonstop watching wrestling. Every show I did with SmackDown, like uh, House Show, I would have to sit down and watch it the next day. You know, sit down with uh, one of the <clears throat> one of the top guys if they had the time or one of the agents, hey, you know, could you give me some pointers, anything I'm doing, yada, yada, yada. Um, so it was like a constant thing. Plus, we had to watch Monday Night Raw, and then we had to watch SmackDown just in case we got asked questions, what was going on. It was all part of the learning process. But at the same time, you get so like, so it's such a wrestling over uh, overload that it's too much for me to handle. So it was like, oh, man, you know, I'm tired of this. And besides, I really not not saying that I'm crapping on it. I do get it from the business standpoint. I'm a big fan of the edgy uh, back in the uh, attitude era days. I'm a big fan of that. You take that away, you're kind of taking away a lot of uh, the things that really made me get into wrestling. So now with the whole PG thing, and like I said, I do get it from a business standpoint, but at the same time, it's kind of like, eh, for me. So... Yeah, I could definitely see why you uh, you could get sick of that. I think uh, after you just went off on all that, I think uh, I think I got to rethink a couple things here because man, that's uh, that's quite the schedule. But one of the things that you mentioned in there that I just love to hear about, and you know, uh, it's always been something with that FCW class and those guys that were down FCW with you is really, like I said, now the crop that's kind of getting out there. But the Dusty Rhodes promo class and hearing so much about it was that like the highlight of the week? If you had to put one thing on a spotlight. To be honest, yeah, because, I mean, you're getting it directly from one of the best mic guys in the business. I mean, even we will watch, if you watch the Dusty Rhodes DVD, you start watching all the promos. And now that you know, if if you've been in the business long enough to understand and spot a, a mistake here and there, you knew that Dusty, you know, even when he messed up, he didn't mess up. Because he was so good, he was so good as like you know if he, if he didn't have anything to say, he would cover it up with something and we'll go into the dusty mode and you'll be like oh this is amazing, but if you sit down and really watch it again and again you go like oh man I think he kind of messed up here but you can't really tell because he was so good at it, and then you know you will get the match and all that and and 
everything he did in the business was like it was flawless. It was, I, was, I was watching a clip the other day. It was him and Andre the Giant in um, Japan. And he's like tossing Andre left and right like a ragdoll. I'm like, oh my God, this is like Lucha Andre. He's like, you know, taking bumps left and right and moving around like he was a, a cruiserweight. You know, for a guy his size, it was amazing. You know, and Dusty, do, you know, doing the Dusty thing here and there. And, you know, everyone in Japan was eating it up. I thought it was phenomenal. Absolutely. Dusty is one of the greatest of all time. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And it's got to be amazing to be a part of that promo class. But when you're down there in FCW, you had a whole crop of great talent and great wrestlers surrounding you. Did you kind of feel at that point in FCW there was a good crop, you know, along with you that was kind of like the next wave of guys that were about to be called up to the main roster? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we had a little bit of everything. You know, there were... uh... There were some, some very, very good talent there. Uh, um, some of the guys that are still around, like Tyson Kidd, phenomenal talent. Um, um, Drew McIntyre was there until, you know, not long ago. Uh, Wade Barrett was there, too. Um, I think, actually, Primo and I had Wade Barrett and uh, Drew McIntyre's first match in FCW. I'm not, not completely sure on that. Don't quote me on it, but... I think we did. I mean, we had so many matches with them. Um, uh, Whatchamacallit, this guy, Dolph Ziggler, was there. Phenomenal talent. Um, And he was tagging with, uh, I think his name now is Ty Dillinger, uh, Sean Spears. Oh, yeah. He was tagging with them. And we had so many matches with them as well. Uh, Heath Slater was there. Uh, Seamus was there. Uh... See who else was there? I can't remember. Uh, Nat, Natty was there as well. Uh, D.H. Smith, he's not around, but he was there. Uh, we had Loki. I mean, we had a we had a very uh, Jack Swagger was there too. You know, we had a good crop of guys on there in FC. We had a little bit of everything. So I think, yeah, <clears throat> I think if WWE would have paid at least have the attention to FCW that they're paying to NXT. I don't think NXT would have succeeded. Uh, would be out right now. Still, probably FCW, and I probably still have a contract with the company. Still be working, at least be working with FCW. You know, that's my opinion, and and I'm not the only one that thinks the same way. Uh, I've talked to a lot of guys that got released and all that, and we 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 watched like a clip here and there from uh, the NXT shows and all that, and we go like, man, if they would have paid the same attention. They do to NXT down when we were in FCW. I think we we all be like superstars right now, because the 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 uh, the way they're doing it, it works. They're by the time the guys leave NXT, they already have a fan following. They the people already know who they are. They already have like, you know, this is the social media era. They already have like five hundred thousand or maybe a million followers on like their social media which influences a lot, you know, believe it or not. Because uh, I've seen a lot of guys who only promote themselves in social media and they actually get the masses and they get the people going. So, <clears throat> to be honest, the way they're doing NXT right now, I mean, it, it's it's a gold mine. I think it's, it's, it's perfect. Were you surprised to see, you know, the Performance Center pop up and this NXT, I guess, this brainchild of Triple H? Were you surprised to see this brand just pop up out of nowhere, kind of? Mm, yes and no. 
Yes, because I thought FCW meant a little bit more. Maybe I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think that it meant a lot more because it meant a lot to me. Um, you know, the history of FCW, the classic FCW, uh, having uh, you know guys like Gordon Soul, the guy versus Soul, you know, um, being the one calling the action uh, for that. Who is it like? Uh, whoever doesn't know about. Um, people who uh, who are play-by-play guys in the wrestling business, look them up. You know, I'm pretty sure you guys know, but you know, whoever oh, yeah. doesn't know, look them up, and and they they should get an idea. Where uh, guys like Jim Ross got everything, uh, most of uh, his material, how how he delivered the emotion they put into like a match back in the FCW, the classic FCW days, um, and it was like a home to me. To be honest, like I've never. I've always felt like, like I belong, but at the same time, like you always kind of feel like kind of left out in some certain things. But FCW, like everything was like, Steve Kern included me in everything, and he wanted me to be a part of something big and something special, and I really appreciated him for that. Besides, they gave me the ball, which, you know, coming from guys like Dusty Rhodes and Tom Pritchard and Norman Spiley and Steve Kern, you know, I was like, wow, you know, maybe because of that, I really want to think that FCW meant a lot more to the Louis than what it actually did. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, you know, I knew kind of in the back of my head, I kind of know that it was going, okay, they're going to try to change this. And once they, they release uh, this guy and that guy, and, and I'm like, okay, this is going to change dramatically. And I would have, what I would have done, um, instead of like moving everything to Orlando, I would have left, I would have kept the uh, FCW facility. I would have bought the entire warehouse where we were at and just built the training facility over there. But every time they would have done the uh, TV tapings, I would have gone to Orlando to the whole NXT setup. To be honest, so that way you keep the crowd from Tampa because we had a good following down there in FCW. We had a very good following down there. But now you try to expand, you know, which is what they're doing right now. But I would have kept the facility in FCW in Tampa, my opinion. It's also great to hear, you know, because you don't hear a lot from some of the wrestlers. They know their history. And you mentioned Gordon Soley. Obviously, Dusty played a huge role down there in Florida as well. And then, you know, the Blackjack Mulligans of the world and uh, the huge names that just came out of that Florida territory. It's great to hear that you definitely know your history. And that's... uh, that is definitely a cool part of FCW and kind of what it meant to wrestling and obviously what it meant to you. But back to you, you know, specifically, you're, you know, you're in FCW. At one point, you're the world champion. You're a three-time tag team champion. Your buddy, Primo, you know, Eddie Cologne, you guys are, are uh, you know, a, a team together. How come they didn't keep that team going? How come they kind of, you know, wanted to split you guys up and you became Eric Escobar, you know, and he went his way? This is what they told me, like, um, he calls me that the same morning when he was gonna when he was on a raw. He calls me that morning. Hey, I'm on the road. I'm like, cool. You know, congratulations, man. Well, what's going on? He said, well, I don't know. Um, they gave. I can't remember who, but I got a call from uh, one of the creative members, uh, one of the creative team members, uh, and they tell me that the idea they had was that he was gonna debut. I think Legacy, there was uh, that was the clique that they were trying to build up at the moment. 
Um, Primo was going to debut. Uh, with uh, They were going to put him with Carlito so they can start the tag team. And they were going to get in trouble with Legacy. They were going to start feuding with Legacy. But, you know, they had strength in numbers. So I was going to come in to be the equalizer. So I was going to be like the, the best friend of Primo and Carlito from Puerto Rico. And apparently that was the idea they had penciled in. I guess someone grabbed a huge eraser and just erased my name from the equation. Hmm. And they just went with them, and they Primo debuted on Raw, and they sent them to SmackDown the next day. That was it. And, you know, I was, like, floating around in FCW. Dusty looked at me, he looks at me like, so what do we do now? Because, you know, we, we had you in the tag team. I'm like, so I guess he saw something and said, we can do something with you. And, you know, they, they, they started building me up. I thought it was funny because I do remember he was uh, – he told the entire class one day, which is, I mean, something weird. You don't see that very often, but he just, like, starts talking to the class, and uh, we're going to start doing some cool things, yada, yada, yada. Right now, we're going to try to attract the Latino community, and uh, we're going to build, we're going to push Eric Escobar real huge. And I just opened my eyes like, oh, my God, I just came out of nowhere. <laughs> and I was, like, so surprised that he told everyone in the class. So everyone in the class is, you know, I started looking at me in a different way, not in a bad way, but in a different way. Like, oh my God, this guy's about to become the man down here. So, oh my God, you know, it was it was weird. I mean, not in a bad way, but it was just weird. I'm like, okay, why why would you tell everyone? You should have just told me, and that's it. I didn't even know about it, you know, until he just like boom, just told everyone. I said, hey, we're gonna do something with this guy. Oh, okay, well, th- thank you, <laughs> and you know. The rest, is, the rest you guys know. Now, were you comfortable kind of in that role as being the, the face of uh, SCW for a while? You're going to be the world champion. Like Dusty said, you're going to be the man. Were you comfortable in that specific role? To be honest, yeah. I mean, I was like, I mean, in a way, you, you in the back of your head, I'm like, am I going to be the responsible one for drawing the crowd? Or is that that's, that's my job, right? Okay, okay, so I got to do this. Uh, yeah, but I was comfortable, to be honest. Like, I mean, there was so much. Dusty House had so much confidence in my work and, and my ability and everything that, that they taught me because I never I never tried to stop learning. I, mean, I did what I did, which was basic. I admit it. I'm a, I'm a basic wrestler. You're never going to see me flipping and flopping, you know, doing like uh crazy matches like uh, Ricochet and, and Will Ospreay in Japan, which was phenomenal work. I mean, wow, those guys are real, real athletes. I do hear, you know, a lot of people complaining back and forth about the match, but I think I think they did very well. But anyways, um, you're never going to see me doing that, but Dusty gave me that confidence. Steve Kern and Dr. Tom and Norman, you know, they will use me as example to, like, tell all the other guys what, what to do or what not to do, you know, or how to how to approach things. Because in Puerto Rico, you do learn about timing. I mean, they some companies here they have the old school mentality, like separate locker rooms and all that. So basically, you have to go out there to the ring and work. I've never been shy of grabbing a microphone and talking, which was very good. Um, so I guess that confidence that Dusty gave me and and, and just the fact that they gave me the ball and everything, just you know, came out naturally when I got in the ring. So I have, I felt like no pressure. You know, sometimes it was, okay, uh, go do this, here are some bullet points, and go. Do your thing. 
And those really, wow, okay, cool, thank you. You you really trust my work, appreciate that. And I just came out there and just did what I had to do. Well, it's definitely a good sign, you know, for you that, that Dusty was so confident in you and then you kind of building up your own confidence. But where did the Eric Escobar name come from? Because obviously, you know, in Deep South and everything else, you're Eric Perez. How come yeah. the change to Escobar? Well, the company, since I think Deep South, they started asking us to, like, write a list of ten names every every few months. You know, I, I think I wrote, like, five. Um, and we would, like, turn them in. Oh, here are the list of, of names, you know, name suggestions for characters. And I would write Eric Perez, Eric Alejandro, Eric Alexander, uh, which is my real name, uh, Eric Montana, Alex Montana, Alejandro Montana, you know, trying to go with this stereotypical famous uh, names. Sadly, they're all names of drug lords in movies and in real hmm. life. Hmm. But it is what it is. I mean, come on, let's call a spade a spade, you know. Now you have, uh, if you want to talk stereotypical, you you got now... Uh, um, what you would call the new day, you know, being like loud, obnoxious, and all that, which is funny, as entertaining as hell. But let's be honest, you know, back in the day when, well, not back in the day, but back when, uh, God bless his soul, Chavo and Eddie Guerrero, they were doing the light cheat and steal thing, and they were coming out the low rider, stereotypical. You know, those are stereotypical things, and when they're doing, when they're done in, in good nature, they're fun, they're entertaining. But you know, when they're done, like you know in a bad way, my, you know, when they're not done properly or they're done, like, in in a bad way, you know, they're not they're not so entertaining. But, you know, stuff like that is entertaining, to be honest. And basically that's the premise of this business, sports entertainment or pro wrestling, if you want to set back the business, like, 500 years. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think of... The Shining Stars, aka you know your old partner Eddie Cologne Primo, and um, you know and his cousin, whatever. Like they're being the you know they're the Colognes, but they're not the Colognes. They're kind of stereotypical gimmick themselves. I don't know. I mean, there's I tag with uh, with both of them actually in Puerto Rico too. Uh, with Primo and I tied with with his cousin afterwards, uh, and to be honest, they're they're they both such great workers. There's so many things they can do with them. Um, why that? I have no idea. You would think that this is like the premise to bring back Carlito, and you know have like all three of them just wreak havoc in the WWE and just go crazy. But you know that's uh, that's a long shot because I don't think Carlito is you know is interested in coming back. That's just my opinion. I'm not sure um, because if he were, I'm pretty sure that like, he's got a fan following that wants him back there. Um, and to be honest, like I don't. I when I first saw the character, uh, saw the vignettes, I was like, okay, so I guess it's like uh, you know promoting. Uh, uh, how beautiful the island is and all that, which is all a work, to be honest. I live in Puerto Rico. It's all a freaking work. Don't, don't get me wrong. It is what it is, but it's all a work. You, there's so many wrong things going on in the island right now that it's not even funny. I mean, to someone that lives here, it's like, 
no, this is bullshit. What the hell? <laughs> you guys know that ain't right. No, no, no. You go to a club here, there's a shooting. There was a shooting in Orlando. Come on. There was a bunch of Latinos there. Out of the uh, 50-some people that died, like 23 were Puerto Rican. Are you hmm. kidding me? That, wow, that's messed up. But going back to the, the, the character, um, you know, the whole the whole thing is like if you're watching, if you live in the island and you're watching, you're like, no, no. No, 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 no. Bad boy. You want to smack him in the, in the hand. No, don't do that. But, you know, that's what they gave him, so they ran with it. And they did They did very good uh, with the vignettes and all that. Um, what's going on with them right now? Are they still doing it? I mean, you know, they're still going with it, or are they getting a push? It's, uh, it's weird. What they did was, so they did the weeks of vignettes where they were actually – in Puerto Rico, or so you know, so to speak, in Puerto Rico, and they were, you know, saying, you know, we're coming, but Puerto Rico's so beautiful. Uh, then they debuted. They had one match, and since they've debuted, they're now doing uh, the same style promos, but against a green screen of you know an island and a beach, and they're almost like a parody and like pseudo like tourism agents, and like it's almost like it's a. Uh, like uh, Puerto Rico and the WWE got together, and they were like, "All right, let's make the best national tourism, uh, you know, gimmick possible," because it just seems to me that it's become a, like a parody. Like it's one thing for them to be arrogant, you know, "Oh, Puerto Rico's so great," to now it's just like a parody that they're in front of a green screen. Oh wow! Well, that's messed up. To be completely just, honest, why not just let the guys work? Yeah, and they had one match, and it's, uh, you know, obviously they've been, the two of them have been teaming, you know, gosh, for about five or six years together. Then they were repackaged into the Matadors, and then they're repackaged into the Shining Stars. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say that they're stereotypical, but do you think that that kind of gimmick is just, it's, it's just played out, you know, that you're sticking straight to a stereotype-style character? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just the same. I mean, there's plenty of characters that you can that you can pinpoint who have been like played out and watered down, and they've been done and redone and redone. Like, for example, um, the Four Horsemen. That same same style character have been played out and done. The Ric Flair type of yeah, I got women, I got money, and all that. That characters to me is like okay, it's being done and redone and redone. To be completely honest, if I were the owner of uh, a company or if I were in the WLA Creative, I would use characters like that for guys who are, like, new. You know, like, let's say you want to have NXT and you would just bring guys from developmental straight to the main roster. I would bring in a, a young kid with that, with those type of characters. Oh, yeah, I got money. Because... Instantly, people are going to hate him. Oh, you got money. I ain't got no money. Now you're bragging about having money, having women. That's messed up because I ain't got any. I ain't got no women. I ain't got no money. I hate you, you know, and that's instant heat. But Ric Flair made it look so cool back in the day that it kind of like, uh, you know, it, it kind of raised the line a little bit, you know, between baby face and heel. People are kind of like into it. You know, but if you bring in new guys, unknown guys with those type of characters, they'll they'll get instant heat right away. 
I'm doing a character like that right now in Puerto Rico. What allegedly I renounced to being Puerto Rican, and now I'm Cuban. And like in between the Latino communities, the Cubans are like you know they tend to be like the the more business oriented uh, uh, or business driven people. They're always looking for money. Everyone is looking for money all the time, but Cubans are they're too like a little bit, you know, a little bit more. And now with the uh, relations being open between Cuba and the United States, yada, yada, yada. So they decided to jump into that, and they put me in a, an attack partner. You know, we did, we were known as the Cuban Council. Um, and we come in, and we got money and all that. But at the same time, in my opinion, it's like, if you're going to do that, you really have to, like, go the extra mile to make people believe that I actually do have the money. So you have to spend money. You as a promoter, you have to spend money. You have to get me. You have to get me a limo to take me to the shows, and you have to get me get a bunch of people to actually watch me get out of the limo. If you're gonna do a show, have you know people stand outside. Okay, or you're gonna arrive at the arena at seven o'clock. Limo's gonna pick you up so they can everyone can see you. Everyone standing in line to come into the show, they'll see you come in, get out of the limo, and have someone carry your bag for you. That's how you sell the gimmick. But because if not, people are just going to see me walking around a Walmart with, like, a tank top and flip-flops and, and shorts, and they're going to be like, oh, this guy's doing grocery shopping here at Walmart? I thought he had money. <laughs> you know, some people still want to believe that, that everything we do is real. In and out of the ring, they still want to believe in, in Ted DiBiase being the actual million-dollar man and coming going to a store and just buying, uh, going to a restaurant and just buying food for everyone in the, the place, they still want to believe that that is possible. They still really deep down inside want to believe. You know, they know it's entertainment, but deep down the inner child of each and every one of those fans, they want to believe that it's real. They still want to believe that Undertaker is a dead man. He'll, he, he'll rise from the dead and, you know, come and take you down. You know, they still want to believe that. That's what, you know, one of the things that, that wrestling is missing. So that's why those characters, uh, the money guy always, you know, will get a certain amount of heat if if you use a young guy who's totally unknown to do it, in my opinion. That's great psychology when you think about it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the fans kind of needing that suspension of disbelief. And I was actually, as you were saying, I was thinking, I was like, man, I remember Million Dollar Man. They used to have him walk around with all that money, you know, back in the yeah. late 80s. It was so smart. And obviously, Undertaker, he was so protective of gimmick. He didn't do interviews for a while. He never talked. No one ever saw, like, where he was or what he was doing. It's a great psychology, which is kind of missing uh, big time, you know, back in the States here. What do you think about Puerto Rico and the wrestling there? Do you think that their psychology and the selling and everything else is better down there, or do you think that they're kind of slipping as well? No, they're they're kind of slipping as well. I mean, we have we're always going to have that old school mentality because it's it's implanted in and basically in the wrestlers' DNA here in Puerto Rico. Um, like I said, uh, uh, Carlos still a big firm, big big believer in the uh, uh, kayfabe days and, and having, like, separate locker rooms from time to time. I mean, w- when I worked with him back in uh, 03, um, I was a baby face, and I turned on Primo, actually, uh, which was a very good angle. Um, and 
when you know we're going over the details and all that, they they ask me, "Where's your bag?" I'm like, "What do you mean, where's my bag?" Yeah, you know, if you're gonna turn on him, we're gonna throw your bag out. You know, like you're not welcome in the babyface locker room anymore. I'm like, "No, you're not throwing my bag out." I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're not throwing all my stuff out in the crowd. I'm just no, no. It's like, what do you guys want to do with that? Well, you know the mentality, separate locker rooms and all that. It's like, yeah, okay, cool, but we're all coming out the same curtain. So how do you explain that one? You know, I did get to see a couple of guys that were they, they threw their bags out of the locker room, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, but yeah, when he leaves the arena, he's gonna leave with a baby face because a baby face gave him a ride. And you know who that baby face is? Me, because I gave that guy a ride. Are you kidding me? Why are you doing that? I mean, it's like, you know, 1980s or 1970s type of stuff. And I get it. The kayfabe and all that. And, and then, okay, I still want to believe this, this is a real thing. But at the same time, you got to get with the times. You know, you, you could protect the business as much as you want. But there's always going to be certain things that are going to, are going to get out. Um, the best way to, that it was explained to me was with Carlito. Um, Carlito was standing right. Carlito was a heel. He came in to do a show. I haven't been signed yet at that time. And uh, I was standing right next to him. And someone asked, Carlito, why are you standing right next to Eric Perez or Eric Alexander at that time? And he said, I ain't got no beef with him. I ain't got no problem with him. That's that's when I was like, oh, that makes sense. If my problems with A, why am I gonna? Why well, I, I can stand right next to B? I mean, I got no problem with B. My problems with A, so I can just you know be here. I got no problem with that guy. Why does like one bad guy has to have a problem with the entire babyface locker room? I mean, are right. you kidding me? Right. Does it make sense? What's it like down there in Puerto Rico though, as far as the clones? Because obviously, you know, Carlos clone. Senior is kind of the the god of Puerto Rican wrestling, if you really think about it, and all the the legendary feuds and matches and all the blood that he spilt everywhere. What's it like the, with the Colognes down there? No, we you know Carlos still Carlos. Carlos still a big name in, in pro wrestling here in Puerto Rico. Um, every time that uh, <clears throat> he's been running the company for for like the longest time ever, just with uh, with his partner and. Uh, it's not it's not like uh people you know recognize him on the street they take pictures and they, and they respect him a lot it's not he doesn't have that uh kind of like that god status that they give wrestlers in let's say Mexico or Japan different cultures you know and and you go to Mexico and you watch a comic book and you have like El Santo, you have Blue Demon Junior and Blue Demon Senior. I mean, or, or Mil Mascaras. Those are like basically gods in the entire, you know, they're in the entire community. Everyone knows about them. You know, only wrestling fans and a lot of people do know about Carlos Colon. You know, because he's been around for forever, um, and most people do know about him, but they don't have that. You know, they don't have that legend status. Of uh, like they do in Mexico or Japan, but still, yeah, very, very recognizable figure. It's this, you know, it's like saying um, Hulk Hogan in the U.S., so to speak. You know, you say Hulk Hogan, okay, wrestler. You know, you say Carlos Colón, okay, wrestler. You know, it's kind of like the same thing. And you know. 
the Colon is obviously big in Puerto Rico, but you mentioned Mexico. I know you spent some time down there for the AAA promotion. You were in Mexico. What was it like down there in Mexico? Completely different than Puerto Rico? More passionate fans, would you say? Uh, yeah, it is completely different. Um, first of all, uh, they're crazy. I'm not going to lie, but crazy in a good way because it's funny, man. Um, you know, in the U.S. and Puerto Rico, everybody's, like, worried about getting sued and yeah, we, if we're wrestling the crowd, and you know, we have gotta watch out. We don't, we don't want to hurt anyone. Yada yada yada. Well, in Mexico, it's the total opposite. I was working with this guy, and he's like, "Throw me over the rail." So I throw the guy over the rail. He spins in midair and kicks this lady in the face with his heel. I was like, "Holy shit, we're getting sued!" Oh my god! And I'm <laughs> looking at this lady. She's laying on the floor. I'm like, "Is she okay?" And I look at her husband like, oh, he's looking at her like, oh, my God, you just got kicked in the face. <laughs> and he's laughing. He's like, orale, posparate, vieja, levantate, dale. And I'm like, dude, help her out. And I'm like gingerly walking towards my opponent to punch him. I'm like, is she okay? I don't know. And she just got up and just started like rubbing her face like, oh, my God. But nothing happened. Like, nothing, even, no one cared. I'm like, holy shit. You can't do that in Puerto Rico. You can't do that in the U.S. You do get, you do that. You're getting sued for sure. Or at least, you know, that person's getting, like, free tickets for life or something like that. I don't know. But it, it's completely different culture, I mean. And, and in Mexico, they love, I mean, they love wrestling so much. There's a wrestling show every day of the week. And sometimes the wrestlers, they wrestle like twice or three times in a day, like three different shows. They start like early in the morning, around like 11 o'clock in the morning. And they have a wrestling show at 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then they do the, the three, four-hour drive and do another show, a three, four-hour drive and another show. I'm like, wow. That's like a lot of passion. That's a lot of wrestling, you know. That's a little bit too much. Wrestling every day on the week. I think CMLL, they tape on a Wednesday. They they shoot their TV on a Wednesday, and they have shows that, like the rest of the week. Oh, that's, uh, that's a hellish schedule, my goodness. That's, uh, that's almost uh, as much yeah. as uh, you're talking about the developmental schedule. It's like every time you're... Uh, you're involved with something. It seems to be these uh, hellish, hectic, uh, you know, nonstop uh, wrestling schedules. But if we can move forward a little bit, I want to get into the uh, to the WWE run and actually we'll get it onto the main roster because, uh, like we've we've said, you've done so much, and this is uh, funny that we're just getting to this now. But when you get called up to the WWE and you're brought on to the 10th anniversary of SmackDown, is that something that you're kind of hit with by surprise? that you're going to be thrust right on to uh, a big-time show that they had been building for uh, for quite a while and that you'd be uh, working with, the you know, the late, great Eddie Guerrero's wife, Vicky Guerrero. Yeah, like, I had no idea what was going on. Um, Ricky Steamboat came up to me, and he's like, uh, he starts talking to me, and I'm like, okay, what are you talking about? He's like, did anyone talk to you? I'm like, about what? Oh, okay, I'll get back to you. He leaves. I'm like, okay, I'm getting ribbed. Uh, a few <laughs> minutes later, uh, I think Jamie Noble came over. He starts talking to me. I'm like, dude, what, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, did anyone come and talk to you? I'm like, no. Okay, I'll get right, right back to you. He leaves. I'm like, I'm getting ribbed. I mean, there's going to be a big rib. 
I'm gonna probably end up naked in the parking lot or something. I don't know. Some something <laughs> funny is gonna happen to me, and I'm either gonna like it or hate it. I don't know. Whatever's going on, I don't care. Uh, John Cena came up to me and starts talking to me. He's like, "Don't mess it up." I'm like, "Hey, hey John." Could... He's like, "No, just don't mess it up," and just kept walking. And with, with he was like kind of laughing. I'm like, "Now I know I'm getting ribbed." Okay, this is it. I'm getting ribbed. I'm gonna shave my head off, or I don't know. They're going to do something to me. And then, you know, Ricky Stimo sat down and said, oh, you're going to debut as Vicky Guerrero's boyfriend. I was like, oh, that's awesome. So then I looked for Vicky, and I started looking at her. Hey, nice to meet you, Vicky. And said, hey, nice to meet you. And, you know, we started talking, and, and I'm like, did I asked her, did anyone talk to you? Yeah, I'm supposed to meet up with this Eric Escobar guy. Oh, that that's me, miss. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, it's you. Oh, that's awesome. And so we started talking and yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, we did the deal. And, and I still didn't believe it. I'm like, no, they're going to cut it off. They're going to cut me out. I'm not going to be on TV this week. Until I watched it on Friday, I'm like, okay, I made my debut. That's awesome, finally. So, you know, that was it. And it was a great pairing because she's just an instant heat magnet. And it's like, one of those things that she walked out onto that stage and it was magic. And it was during that time that everything that she seemed to do just was an instant, instant, you know, just a thorn in the side of the crowd. And did you see that with her, like that she was a natural at just getting heat and for somebody who had, you know, just been around the business, not in it. And here she goes, she walks out on that stage and uh, you could hear those boos reverberating throughout the arena. Yep. I mean, I still remember the first time we kissed on TV. I mean, you get one thing on TV, but being there in the live crowd, like, as soon as I grabbed her, and little by little, I started getting close and close. I could hear the people, like, building were like, no, 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 please don't do it. No, oh, God, ah, ah, I'm like, <laughs> this is great. I mean, if I would have known that, you know, me making out with Vicky was getting me this over, I would have been making out with her a long time ago. Come on, Really? But, you know, it, it was awesome. I mean, you, you get that reaction from the crowd. You're like, oh, man, these people really hate her. You know, but she's such a sweetheart. She's such a great person to be around, and, and it was phenomenal. I mean, for whatever little time that we had together, we, we, we had fun with it. And, and But it was just weird. They were pulling us in all these different directions and all that. So, oh, well. Yeah. Now, did you get any kind of feedback from from the uh, the head honcho there himself, Vince McMahon? Was he uh, was he a part of any of the putting together of any of the backstage vignettes, or was he just uh, kind of there, seen, not heard? No. Yeah. He he actually did. Uh, you know, gave me some pointers and, and gave me a couple of things. But to be honest, like, um, you know, he did talk to me. He he told me what he wanted me to do and all that. And I thought I was I was, you know, doing. When I got together to put together my matches, uh, I thought I was, you know, doing what he was telling the agent to tell me to do. But at the same time, it was like yes and no. I mean, I, I think it either got lost in translation or I didn't understand what it was, what they wanted me to do, or you know. But every time I, oh yeah, you're doing well. I'm like, oh okay, cool, all right, cool. You know, I mean, they will pull me aside from that time. Hey, you got to be more aggressive. Okay, I'll try to be more aggressive next time, you know. But then, then one thing led to another, and here we are talking today and me being released six years later. <laughs> I, 
and I'm going to keep hitting home. It just it doesn't feel like that because you guys were you know you were thrust onto that that spot on TV. They really put the Rockets. It seemed like they were getting behind the the backstage stuff, and they put you in the ring with Matt Hardy in your debut match. You get the win. You qualify for the bragging rights team, which I'm sure today's fans might not even remember what bragging rights was because it was the uh, brand extensions version of almost like a Survivor Series uh, style match, like I think the months before Survivor Series. So it kind of doesn't make any sense. But getting in the ring and working with a guy like Matt Hardy, he's, uh, you know, he's very good in the ring. He's still going today. Um, were you nervous for that match at all, being your debut on you know, SmackDown, on the national uh, landscape? And how was it working with Matt during that match? It was good. I mean, Matt was a, was a hell of a worker. He was over. He's still pretty over. Uh, I think he's doing the heel thing now. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, I think it is because I, I don't think I could ever see a, a heel Jeff Hardy. So, yeah, I think he's doing the heel thing uh, right now with his brother. But anyways, uh, yeah, he was over. It was mad freaking Hardy, you know. He was, he was over as hell in the WWE. So, of course, I was a little bit nervous. I didn't know what to expect. Um, but I think, you know, we, we did what they asked us to do. And, uh, you know, but to be honest, like, everybody debuts and, and they debut basically in the same way. Okay, well, we're gonna put this guy over, and you gotta put him over. If they would have let me, uh, if it would have been up to me, I would have lost that match, but not just lose because he pinned me. Lose because I get DQ'd. I mean, if you if you look at it this way, if you want to make an impact, do something different. I would have preferred to lose that match via DQ. Like no disregard, no disregard for the referee, no for anything. Just beat the crap out of Matt. And make a program out of that. So I go get DQ'd, beat the crap out of Matt. Now Matt is going to bragging rights. The day of the pay-per-view, I beat Matt up backstage and take his place in the team. And then he costs me my spot. Like he comes after me and I go brawling with him backstage. So basically, you know, my team is shorthanded one guy. Because I, you know, Matt Hardy kind of like, you know, came out and yada yada yada. We got it. We got into it. You know what I'm saying? If I, I think, you know, you would have done that that way, people would have been like, whoa. Instead of like, okay, new guy coming in, bragging rights. Yeah, he's gonna win. I'm pretty sure a lot of people expected me to win. You know, you put Vicky Guerrero right next to me, Heat Magnet instantly, put me against Matt Hardy. And you put me for, for a new type of pay-per-view, for a spot in that new type of pay-per-view. I mean, you know, if you look at it, like 90% of the people already kind of knew that I was going to win that match. Right. Now, you know, if it would have been up to me, I would have done it that way. We were like, whoa, this was different. And they always, like, say, I'll be different, stand out, yada, yada, yada. But if you look at it, you know, it's the same cookie-cutter type of thing sometimes. You know, okay, this guy looks like this guy. Only that this guy is the bad guy and this guy is the good guy. You know? Right. But then you kind of look at the flip side of the coin and you never actually made it to bragging rights. And they did this whole convoluted thing where they removed a bunch of guys from the team. and, And it just doesn't make any sense. And, I mean, I know here we are five, six years later talking about it, but... You know, you find out you're going to be, you know, put on the team and then removed from the team. Is this where you're starting to scratch your head already and being like, well, what are they going to do with me now that I'm here on the main roster? 
Yeah. I mean, you do, but at the same time, you, we heard a bunch of stories that same day. Yeah, you know, we're going to change the team. I'm like, and they told us it was because it was like a bunch of new guys, like relatively new guys, uh, because I think McIntyre, Dolph, and myself were there, and, you know, we were basically all three of I was like the newest one of them all. But, uh, uh, you know, they were like fairly new to the uh, main roster as well. So they said, well, we need more star power for that pay-per-view because it was an annual pay-per-view. That's what they told us. That's why they changed the uh, the uh, participants of the uh, of our team. So okay. Just doesn't and, make much sense because it was so ridiculous. But I'm sorry, John. Continue. I had to get that last little rant out about freaking bragging rights. So dumb looking back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say they they didn't keep you and Vicky together that much longer. It's kind of maybe a little fear that you had, like you know, you said before you were going to be on. TV, like, oh, this isn't going to happen. We're not going to have him with Vicky. But what was the story behind breaking you and Vicky up so quickly? Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, I guess they they didn't see me being as aggressive as they wanted me to be. So they were going to try me as a baby face, which, I mean, I would have, if, if I could turn back the, the clock, I would probably just told them, don't do it. Just let me... Uh, let me figure it out or, or, or something. I would have but just let's have this love hate relationship between Vicky and I. You know, like I lose a match, she gets mad at me, she smacks me, we make out, we you know, get back together, yada yada yada. Tomorrow I win a match, we're happy. I mean, I would have gone back and forth, you know, just to play the innocent, you know, the the Vicky being like Oh my God, Eric! You're having this like roller coaster of emotions right now. Why are you doing this to me? You're driving me crazy, type of thing. I hate you, but I love you, yada, yada, yada. You know, I would have played off that until, you know, things would have clicked more. That's just, you know, how, how I look at it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how vicious they wanted me to be with the long list of things that I couldn't do in the ring, you know. And, uh, it was like, yeah, you can't you can get out of the ring. You can't grab chairs. You can't hit the guy with this, yada, yada. Okay, you can be aggressive without, you know, grabbing chairs and all that. But let's play off with the whole Puerto Rican thing. You know, hot-headed Puerto Rican. Puerto Rico being, like, uh, known for the hardcore-style wrestling. You know, not as big as Japan, but, you know, Puerto Rico is pretty hardcore. It's been, like, you know, back in the day, used to be more about blood and, and, and brawling than anything else. Let's just play it off with that. You know, this, you know, the hot-headed Puerto Rican that I lose my temper and just beat the crap out of people and get DQ'd all the time until Vicky starts managing my career in a different way. So, okay, no, we've got to tone it down. And, you know, this is how we do it. I don't know. Yeah, and then, of course, as you're a face, you kind of feud with her, and then she's putting you in precarious situations like handicap matches against this team or handicap matches against Big Show and Jericho. Did you like being a face, or did you prefer being a heel? Uh it's a mixed bag on that one because I think it, it's a lot easier for people to hate you than it is to for them to like you. Um, FCW was, I had time. I had, you know, I, I had been there for a while, so people already knew my face. 
they kind of like already were a little bit invested in me and like, okay, we want to see this guy for whatever reason. We we like what he's doing. Well, it was it was one of those things. Like it was easier for me to. We actually tried Primo and I tried to be healed in FCW for a long time. Like we tried every single uh, uh, old school heel tactic that we could think of uh, within the parameters of what WLE would allow us and not allow us to do. And uh, it didn't work. People still like, no, we're going to cheer for you. That's one day, okay, so we'll try it the other way. Now you guys are going to be babyface. So we tried the whole, you know, babyface thing and, and stuck. And then I kind of carried that to my singles career, my singles run at FCW. So uh, I think I make a pretty good babyface, in my opinion. Uh, but it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You gotta, You got to give it time. You know, it's not... It's not one of those things that's going to happen, you know. Okay, I'm here Monday. By Tuesday, everyone loves me. No, it right. doesn't happen. You know, it's not one of those Brian Daniel moments. Yes, yes. And everybody says, oh, my God, this is great. We're saying yes. And this guy's saying it with us. Come on. You know, huh. it, it, not everyone has that. You know, to me, it's more... You gotta, you gotta get your time in. The storyline's gotta be right. The matches gotta be right. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're wrestling Kane. You're losing to Kane, and then you end up being released. What was the reasoning yeah. behind the release? And and you know, was it just an absolute shock to you? Because it was to everyone else. If you ever find out the reason, could you please give me a call <laughs> and let me know? Because I never truly understood what went what went on. Uh, I think it goes to the uh, the Ryback rant. Uh, you're paying me to lose. You're telling me to lose, and you know, I'm losing, and I'm not making that much money. Not that I complain about the money that I was making, but you're telling me to lose. So you expect me to get over by losing? It doesn't happen like that very often. You got to get over before you start losing. You know, Jeff Hardy is a guy who's so over that he can lose every match. And people still pop for him. But he got over huge first. So you can't really ask me to get over by just losing all the matches. Can't really do that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some valid points in that. And and there's definitely some credence to what Ryback was saying as well. But, you know, it's kind of funny. You don't know the reason to release. No one knows the reason to release. It kind of came out of nowhere, and it kind of just came rather abruptly and rather quickly because you didn't even spend that much time on the main roster, which kind of, you know, surprised everyone because they gave you Ricky Guerrero so soon, and you definitely were getting over his heel. So it's just weird the way that works. And, you know, with, with the release, who contacts you? Is it Johnny Ace that, that kind of breaks the news to you? Yeah, John Warren and I just gave me a call, which was weird. He gave me a call on Sunday. Um, I was uh, scheduled to go on the road that weekend, but at the last moment they canceled. I think I was supposed to work Dolph Ziggler for the entire weekend. So they canceled both of us. We didn't go on the road, and then on Sunday I get a call from him. And, you know, everybody's done the Johnny Ace impersonation. Hey, hey, Eric, how you doing? The raspy voice and all that, and yada, yada. <laughs> I got some bad news for you. I'm like, oh, here it comes. Oh, crap. Um, 
But I, I, I don't know. Like to be honest, I wasn't shocked. I was like, man, this really sucks. But at the same time, I was like, hey, it is what it is. The one thing that is for sure, as soon as you sign that contract, you know the one that you're going to get released. Unless you become, you know, Sean or Taker and John Cena, guys like that, who are probably never going to get released. But, you know, they are like the 1% of the 1% guys. You know, not everybody is Jericho, who is like, yeah, I'm going to leave for like six months. I will, we'll talk when I come back. And then, yeah, I'm going to come back now. You know, which is to me is like the most over thing ever. You know, Chris Jericho doing that, leaving and coming back just like whenever he wants. I think it's so awesome. I really, really pop huge for that. Very cool that Jericho is able to pull that off and be able to do that and kind of seamlessly go from Fozzy, his band, to the wrestling world and, you know, not really show too much signs of ring rust and, you know, still be a a main eventer, basically. You know, he was just main eventing uh, last night, so definitely got it. But as far as Johnny Ace, you know, everyone has a Johnny Ace story, whether it be positive or negative or, you know, or maybe just crazy. We've had a lot of his uh, all-Japan contemporaries, you know, Stan Hansen, Del Wilkes, uh, Joel Deaton. They all have, you know, a little bit of negative stories. What kind of relationship with Johnny Ace did you have? Would you say positive or negative? I think it's positive. I mean, I haven't talked to the guy since he released me, so... <laughs> The last thing he said was like, well, you're getting fired. But uh, to be honest, like, I don't think we ever had a problem. I mean, he, he did, you know, called and then a few times, say, hey, what the fuck's going on down there? I'm like, what do you mean? And all that. And he was like, you know, something went down, yada, yada, yada. But that was mostly positive. I mean, he was, he gave me a chance, you know. Uh, he gave me my, my, my first contract with the company. It was within between him and, and uh, Tommy Dreamer at the time. He was working with, uh, he was doing talent relations for developmental. Um, so to be honest, I got I got no negative stories with uh, with uh, with Johnny. Johnny, you know, there's definitely uh, a lot of stories out there, but whether good or bad about him, there's definitely you know a lot out there, but. You know, speaking of Johnny Ace, we kind of skipped over it, and I kind of wanted to get back to it, and that was Deep South. And there's so many stories of Deep South and how, you know, the Bill DeMott didn't really talk to Bill Barron, and Johnny Ace was mad at everybody about how the, how the place would run, and, you know, this and that. What actually happened with Deep South and, and the way that that closing happened? Like, you know, as the story is, does Johnny Ace just show up one day, and that's the end of Deep South? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he just showed up and said, Well guys, uh here's what's going down. We shutting deep down we shutting down deep south. Everyone's like, What the fuck? So we out of a job? No, no. You guys will be transferred to either uh OVW or the new F C W in Florida. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, yeah, when is that taking place? Well, we got to take down the ring right now. We're going to take that away right now. I'm like, oh, God, this is fast. That escalated quickly. Um, that was pretty much it. Um, to be honest, I, you know, the stories about this and that, yada, yada, yada. What really annoyed me about a lot of the situations, especially like when Bill DeMai got released the first time around, it was that the people that were complaining were former football players and, and models. 
you're telling me that you want me to respect the business, like old school respect the business, like learn the proper way to earn, you know, my spot like they used to do back in the day. But now a football player who has never been in a wrestling ring before that you gave him a contract and you're probably paying him more than you're paying me and a model are complaining to you about the way those Amad is training people and you want to fire the guy and this place is no good, yada, yada, yada. Are you really, you honestly telling me that? First of all, like when I was brought in to the business, I, uh, I wasn't trained properly. And I explained, they sent me to train. These guys were training me, and out of the blue, they disappeared. They gave me like two weeks' worth of training, and they disappeared. I think they got in trouble with the law or something like that. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so basically, they, they, Rachel Quinones, God bless his soul, he tells me, start coming to the shows early so you can train with the guys on there. So with what I learned... And watching WWE and listening to Jim Ross call a match, I learned most of the moves, the names, and, you know, how to emulate, you know, what the guys were doing in the ring. Okay, this is how you do a suplex. This is a German suplex. This is a belly to back, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I was like, okay. So basically I was trying to learn my psychology through that. So I come to Deep South, and I start getting trained properly. It was hard work, I'm not going to lie. And, you know, this is something that I have told Bill DeMott to his face. Bill DeMott is an asshole, but he's a nice <laughs> asshole. He's a nice asshole because he does care, and he does take care of his own because the the, the company sent in a couple of guys for tryouts, and some of them were actual douchebags. And one of them, I remember one of them came in and we were all working. It was a drill called man in the middle. And we had to wrestle for like 30 minutes. One person in the middle, everyone would tag in and out with that same person in the ring. We did it for 30 minutes when guys came in for a tryout. When we were doing it in practice, it was one hour. So it was not like we were trying to take advantage of whoever came in or not. So I do remember this guy came in, and he dropped Ray Gordy on his head. Voldemort tagged himself in and grabbed the guy, let him, you know, he let the guy work with him a little bit, and then he grabbed the guy and took him down. Not in a rough way, just being Voldemort, 300-plus pound guy with, you know, superhuman strength, took the guy down. And he's just telling him to his ear, next time you come into my ring and drop one of my guys on his head the way you did, I swear to God, I'm going to come here and beat the living hell out of you. <laughs> he was protecting us. Then Bill DeMar looks at me. He's like, um, he used to call me Paco Ramon. I said, Paco, go talk to him. So I go talk to Gordy. Gordy, you okay? He said, yeah, man, you know, this motherfucker comes here. Yeah, he dropped me on my head. The guy comes in. He tries, hey, brother, I'm sorry, I apologize. And Gordy is like livid. He's like, motherfucker, get the fuck away from me. Like, dude, I, I suggest you walk away because if he jumps you, I'm not going to stop him. 
Oh, I thought we were working. Yeah, yeah, but working does not mean that you get to drop a woman's head, you know. And, you know, after that, everyone shook hands and everything was cool and built them up, you know, told the kids, that, listen, you know, I didn't mean, you know, it wasn't yada, 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 but I think it's fucked up that you just dropped them on his head. Oh, you know, I'm sorry, yada, yada, but, you know, he had done already fucked up. Um, I actually saw people that came in and within a week, the company wanted to fire them. And Bill stuck his neck out for them people. And those were the same ones that stabbed them on the back. Wow. So you can say whatever you want about the guy. He's a, he's a hard ass. He's an asshole. But he does care. You know? And a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, but you would want to build the Mots boys. And whoever was there would tell you. Maybe he was. But I got it as rough and as bad as some of those guys. Because he would... If if he saw me dragging ass, he would cuss me out in front of everyone, and he would tell me, you know, so that way I would get get it together and start working hard again. Aside from that, you know, no complaints about the place. It was a fun place. It was hard work, like I told you. We played hard. Uh, we worked hard. We played hard. Um, some of the things that they were done, like creative wise, with the way they were running the show there. And when I mean the show, I mean the actual shows were not the best way because I do remember I was I was called up to on the on the road with Sonny Stiaki as a tag partner. At that moment, Sonny and I were clicking like, wow, it was amazing. And Jody Hamilton, who was running the show down there, said, no, they cannot go on the road because I have a show this weekend, uh, Six Flags, and they're featured, they're, they're on my main event. You look at the poster, we were nowhere to be found in the poster. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're not even promoting us for this show. Bill pulled me aside and said, listen, I tried to, guys, to get you guys to go, but Jody wouldn't have it, and there was a big, you know, big old mess and all that, And but there's no heat on you guys, which obviously it was. There was some heat on us, even though it was not our fault. But I guess the person running the show for developmental at that time did not like me very much and put the heat on me. And that's something that I was like, man, that's really fucked up. It was He was a big fan of Sonny Siaki at that time and not a big fan of mine and yada, yada, yada. And after that, like two weeks later, I think they put Sonny on the road and they left me back in Deep South. Which was like, okay, what the fuck did I do now? It wasn't my fault that I couldn't go to the show. They wouldn't let me. Right. Well, but that was that. Yeah, you always hear those stories about Deep South. There's a little bit of a dissension amongst the ranks, if you will. Nothing was, you know, nothing was kind of the way it was supposed to be. But, you know, as I wind it down here, you've had such a storied career, and it's kind of an underrated one because you've wrestled everywhere. I mean, we talked about Puerto Rico, obviously all over the United States, Mexico. But do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple of favorite matches that stick out to you? Oh, man, I'm so many. Um, in Puerto Rico, I remember I had one with a guy named Justin Sane. It was kind of like a just incredible type of, uh, uh, you know, name. But Justin Sane, he, great guy. We would go out there and just beat the crap out of each other and love every second of it. We had so many good matches. Uh, I had one with uh, Loki, Caval, and FCW. 
most of my tag matches with Primo against Drew McIntyre and Wade Barrett and, and Dolph and uh, Sean Spears and Brad Allen. Uh, that whole tag team division, every single match I had with uh, when I was heavyweight champion with Fandango and Sheamus and uh, I do remember I had one with... Uh, Oh my God! He forgot. He changed his name. Uh, Joe uh, Joe Henning. Oh, Curtis Axel. When I lost, yeah, Curtis Axel. When I lost the uh, heavyweight, the FCW heavyweight title to him, um, we're setting up the match, and I tell him, "Listen, I'm gonna springboard to the top rope." He didn't hear me because it's not a move that I do very often. I only save it for like special occasions. I can springboard to the top rope, but after that, where do I go? So I can give you a superplex, if if anything. I can't do a moonsault. I don't like to jump to the outside if there's not, like, 20 people to catch me, yada, yada, yada. Long story short, we're having the match, and uh, it was one of those, uh, you know, we we like 15 minutes into the match, more or less. I stop him, boom. I Okay, I, I set him up, and I go, okay, I'm coming. I springboard to the top. I hear the crowd go like, whoa. And then they go silent for a second. And Joe goes like, what the fuck? And everyone could hear it. Like, I'm like, what? Let's go. So I give him the superplex. We go to the back. And he's like, brother, I didn't know you were going to jump to the top row. I'm like, dude, springboard to the top rope. Are you kidding me? I do that move from time to time. He's like, that was awesome, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> But, um, you know, I had a couple of matches, you know, that I really enjoyed. The The one match that I'm looking forward to, and hopefully I'll get to do it before I retire, will be a match in Japan, any match in Japan. Not not a, like a crazy uh, death match or anything like that, just a regular match. I've, I've always been a big fan of Japanese wrestling, and uh, I've always wanted to go wrestle in that type of culture and see what the – what the deal is down there. After that, I can retire happily. So, uh, yeah, that would be like the one thing that I really, really want to do in this business. Are you familiar with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling? They got a couple really good gems, really good wrestlers. Uh, my personal favorite, Okada. I think he might be one of the best in the world. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, no, I haven't. I mean, Here's my thing, like, the the cable here in Puerto Rico has gotten, like, extremely, extremely expensive. And, and to be honest, like, I, I got one of my babies talking to me right now. <laughs> he wants me to give him my phone. Um, so, basically, I, I cut, you know, the... They're just charging like every every other month. They will send in like an extra charge of, yeah, you gotta pay this and now you gotta pay that. So all I got is internet. So whenever I got a time, I'll sit down and watch some Japanese wrestling. But I haven't been able to in the past couple of months actually, because of work and family and all that, taking care of a lot of things. So I haven't had time to like sit down and watch anything lately. So is he with like New Japan or? Yeah, yep. He's the, I guess uh, with Tanahashi kind of being injured, uh, Okada's kind of taken over the reins as like the ace of the company. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So that's the person to get in touch with. 
probably Rocky Romero. He's usually the go-between, I've noticed, between a lot of the, um, you know, the American wrestlers or, or the, the guy Jin's getting into New Japan. Okay. Oh, all right. Hmm. But uh, I was just thinking like, that would be a fun match if you know, for you against him would be absolutely great. But um, what about some other favorite opponents that you've had in your career? I know we named a bunch, but any other ones that really stick out that you had like instant chemistry with as soon as you locked up? Dolph, I think Dolph, Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, every time we got in the ring, uh, it was easy. It was very easy to work with him, and, and you know everything. Everything we did, everything clicked. Uh, uh, say Drew McIntyre too. That was another guy. Wade, Fandango. Can't really remember. Oh, there was another guy here in Puerto Rico, Andy Anderson. He used to do like. He, he was a big, big mark of uh, Chris Benoit. Um, so basically, his character was molded after Chris Benoit, like almost the same set of moves and and, and all that. Very good guy, awesome guy. Uh, when I started having matches with him here in Puerto Rico, that's when everything started to click. Oh, okay, I'm understanding this and that, and, and why this and why that. So yeah, that was another guy that I had good chemistry with in the ring, Primo. Primo. Hmm. Um, since we tagged uh, after I turned on him here in Puerto Rico, we started having our matches and everything just clicked. It was weird because he's a lefty, so some of the things we have to like tweak. But aside from that, everything just clicked and everything was good. Um, uh, that's all. Oh, Jericho! Oh my God, Jericho! How can I forget Jericho? He's so good that. He didn't even care that yeah you yeah Eric you can hit me with whatever the hell you want you can throw me off the off the roof of the building because you know what at the end of the day he's Chris Jericho he knew he was gonna go over so you know and that's the way they should do it everyone should do business that way you know they shouldn't even care you know who who they helping with I mean you know what's gonna happen so you're protected and you're Chris Jericho so I mean he was he was very very nice it was a class act so. Yeah, that's another guy. But then again, definitely, who doesn't Eric has have chemistry with? Yeah, you definitely can't go wrong with uh, with Jericho. Always, uh, always one of the best in the world at what he does, as he likes to say. But as we wrap it up here, we just kind of like to look into the uh, the looking glass, look a couple of years down the road. Usually, you know, the uh, the generic where you see yourself in five years question. But do you still see yourself actively wrestling, or maybe branching off into something different? Nah, actually, I've been trying to get into acting. It's kind of hard to do it right here in Puerto Rico because Hollywood comes here every once in a while, and most of the times when they come here, all they have is, like, opening for extras and stuff like that. And not to to uh, make it look like, I hey, I'm a big deal or anything like that, but I've been very lucky, very blessed, if you want to call that, um, that each time they come, there's always something that I can do that is not, an extra deal. It's something that they call it a featured extra, which I actually have lines with like the main characters and have scenes with them and all that. And, and obviously get paid a, a lot more than, uh, than just an extra. So that's one thing that I'm looking forward to um, acting. Cause uh, I don't, I don't see myself 
wrestling for much longer. If anything, like one more year, and and that's about it. Hopefully, by next year, I'll be I'll be done with it. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's quite the road to take. The acting road is a great transition for anybody who has uh, that experience in, in pro wrestling, especially that WWE you know experience gets you. Uh, Pretty good with the Hollywood crowd, but before we let you go, before we get into the plugs, I just want to read you something really quick, and that is, if you go onto the Bragging Rights 2009 page via Wikipedia, I just want to let you know that the event was well-received by critics, except for the UK Sun, which said the tag team match was, uh, let's see, confusing, caused many competitors to become lost in the action, and they didn't understand why there were so many switches. So it looks like I'm not the only one who's been uh, holding this grudge for all these years about Bragging Rice 2009. But, Eric, before we let you go, please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling exactly where they can uh, reach out and touch it if they want to find out more of what's going on in your world. Well, um, they can actually watch uh, America's Most Wanted or Cops. I'll probably be featured there like every other week. Uh, <laughs> stay tuned for that. No, uh, actually, uh, they can reach me. If they want to know what, what I'm about to do or where I'm at, um, they can find me on Twitter at Eric Escobar 8712 or Instagram, same deal, Eric Escobar 8712 or my Facebook page, which is uh, Eric Escobar. Uh, just look for the picture of me and like, trunks wrestling trunks uh there were a bunch of fake pages out there i had to like uh talk to facebook about that and, and report them but you know hopefully they're all gone now and the only one there's left is mine so yeah that's the only places they can find me um also for bookings eric escobar eight seven twelve at gmail.com and uh that's about it Awesome, and uh, yeah, definitely, uh, maybe down the road we'd have you back because uh, John and I are about to put on our old school Sherlock Holmes hats and jackets, and we're going to find out exactly why you were released by the WWE, and hopefully we'll have some answers for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, when you guys find those, well, the guy sucks, that's why we fired him. (laughs) Oh, okay, uh, that was a plain answer, thank you very much, I really appreciate your time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Eric, this has been a lot of fun, and uh, John will let you know when it's... uh, Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.